Welcome to Now with Steve Rio. On this podcast, I seek to define what it means to live a good life. How do we stay connected and aligned with our values and our purpose? How do we prioritize what's most important to us? And how do we optimize and make the most of the time we have in this life? Today's conversation is with Ludo Sufi. He's a husband, a father of two, and the founder of the Ludo Group, where he's a portfolio manager focused on sustainable and ethical investing. You can find him online at theludogroup.com. So we definitely spent some time talking about what ethical investing means. However, the reason I wanted to sit down with Ludo was actually the impressive amount of work he does in his community. He volunteers, he organizes events, he's on a number of boards. He has uh, been a real example to me of someone who has found balance in building an amazing career, his family, but also finding the time to give back in a meaningful way. And so we talked about his personal purpose statement and how that aligns his actions, what legacy means to Ludo, and what it means to be an example for the generations coming up behind us. I hope you enjoy the conversation. And if you do, make sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening. You can follow me on Instagram at Steve Rio. And if you're interested in learning how to increase your performance, resilience, and well-being, check out Nature of Work. It's a personal operating system to help you live life to its fullest. You can find us online at natureofwork.co or on Instagram at the same, at natureofwork.co. Otherwise, I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Thanks for being here with me. Oh, hi there. Hey, man. How are you? Good. It's fun to sit down, and I'm excited to have this conversation with you. I have no idea where this is going to go, but... Yeah, I have the I have the advantage of notes and, totally. and preparation, and I'm just kind of throwing you in the deep end, so I appreciate you doing this. Well, happy to be here. I, I want to say, I, Ludo and I met um, at a thing called Brew, which will be a reoccurring theme, I'm guessing, uh, because I, I did a conversation with Rick Ocean, who mm-hmm. is also from Brew. But at Brew, one of the things I, I said to the group at some point was that I needed more male friends in my life. I didn't have a lot of friends. I felt like I'd been focused on business all the time. And right. Ludo put his hand up like right away and said, I'll be your friend. <laughs> and that was like uh, just a testament to your character and who you are. So I just wanted to I think about that. Thanks, man. I appreciate That's it. Great. Yeah, man. Well, I'm happy to have you in my life now. It's awesome. Yeah, you too. Um, so I wanted to start by just asking you, um, you know, we have your LinkedIn bio and we know what that says. How would you describe yourself outside of out of your out of your corporate bio, I think uh, more important for me now is the fact that I'm a father and a husband first. Mm. Having kids in my life over the last two and a half, almost three years now, has really changed me in a big way, and and much more mindful about that next generation and wanting to be there for my kids and making time for them as well. Mm-hmm. So. I'd say, you know, to describe me outside of my corporate 
you know, persona per se, even though I'm trying to commingle a lot of it together, which I'm sure we'll get into later. Um, yeah, I would say, you know, I, I try to be the best I can for not only for my kids, but for my wife as well, um, day in and day out. Yeah. And it's a, it's a really interesting transition. That's been a theme of all the conversations we've had so far that just the transition from being someone without kids to someone with kids and how everything, the context of your whole life changes. It's not about me anymore. Right. That's right. It's in my twenties, it was all about me and, and furthering my career and having, and trying to do a thing for me and me and me and me. And now, and eventually it led to being with a partner. And now it has like, I'm so the, you know, plus one to the whole equation here. Right. Um, and on the back end of it all, just trying to support this whole crazy machine. Um, and it's the most unbelievable, fulfilling, sleepless nights uh, journey ever. Right. And, um, but I mean, we were just chatting about it before we went on air and, you know, all they have to do is give you like one little smile or, you know, a little like whisper in your ear that, you know, daddy, I love you. And it's like, ugh, okay, like this is all worth it. And then some more, right? Yeah, man. And when we met at Brew, you didn't have, you didn't have kids yet. No. And as part of Brew, one of the big things we did was go through this purpose exercise in articulating our purpose. I'm interested if what the work you did there or your perspective at that point in terms of what your purpose is, has that changed much since or has, has kids affected that or anything else affected that? Or where do you, where do you stand on that? So as you know, well, actually brew was two sessions for us, right? The first session, yeah. I wasn't even married in, in the first session. And then after the second, I believe I was or something along those lines, like, I, or I, I had just been married when, when I started with you with brew. And so I was already trying to not only figure out my purpose, but then try to mold that purpose into my relationship and seeing how that and, you know, I, I, and seeing how that would impact our relationship as well. Um, and now um, I'm getting a, actually a, probably a deeper understanding of my purpose um, day in and day out, being tested by my kids um, and getting a better understanding of what, you know, what my purpose really is. Um, and, um, and then moving forward now, some of the work that I'm doing on the corporate side is trying to, and I've been doing this ever since I met you is trying to, you know, grow my purpose into my business in a bigger and bigger way. Mm -hmm. I got to imagine that having kids just makes that feel more pertinent to your work in terms of the responsible side of investment and things that you do. Can you just talk a little bit about what you do? Just, just in kind of briefly. Mm -hmm. I mean, for uh, to, in its simplest forms, I work with a lot of you know young entrepreneurs in in Vancouver. Um, typically, like the average age is around forty five years old, I would say, who've had a tremendous amount of success in their business and have you know excess funds um, that they need help to manage with that they just don't have the time or the capacity to manage. And so, I'll work with clo- quite closely with a lot of those families and those entrepreneurs to come up with investment strategies as simple as high interest savings accounts and finding the best solutions there all the way to complex, you know, derivatives and all that. So that's, that's my day-to-day work is yeah. working with, is working as a partner with some of these families. Cool. Yeah. And, um, uh, a lot of what you talk about and, and the way you've positioned yourself is, is focused around responsible investment. I, you have two certifications in that area. Is that right? Or mm-hmm, mm-hmm. what I'm interested in those certifications in, um, maybe in layman's terms, what do they mean? Like, do you have, what do you have to uphold or 
what is the responsibility of having those certifications? How do they how do they work? So maybe I'll take a step back yeah. and, and to put some context to all of this. Um, you know, my purpose is in its simplest one liner is forging lifelong partnerships in the pursuit of creating a lasting legacy. So it really has kind of two components there. The forging lifelong partnerships first half um, really speaks well with me and my family and my wife and friends, uh, but also with work, right? Like I'm building these partnerships with people. It's not just doing a, a quick service. It's I have to get to know the families, get to know what they want to do and where they want to go and then help them to grow there, right? Find in a financial capacity and, and in other areas as well. The second part to that is uh, creating a lasting legacy is the part where um, I've really started to wanting to have a bigger impact by using socially responsible, um, economically, socially, um, you know, positively driven investments as much as I can um, to have that longer impact of a legacy, right? If that makes sense. Yeah. And so, um, and so as I'm, as a, you know, I had mentioned before, trying to commingle my purpose, uh, especially that second half of creating a lasting legacy with what I do in finance day in and day out and wanting to have a bigger impact, I've been educating myself as much as I can on, you know, what does that mean? And so, you know, some of those courses or certifications and accreditations is me trying to learn as much as I can about what it means to be socially responsible in your investments day in and day out. You know, from attending, you know, climate change strikes down the street um, to now these courses to, um, I mean, you don't even know this, but as of last week, now trying to become a vegetarian as well. Like this is me personally going through these trials and tribulations of learning what it takes to become like just quote unquote a better human or have a better impact um, and how I can translate that into investment policies and investment advice for clients as well. Yeah, that's cool. And I got to imagine that it strikes me that we're, I don't know, I think we're close to the same age, but we sort of came up at the first bit of our careers in adult life. It's kind of the end of one era of how, do, of how to do business. And and there's a new era entering in that's much more aware, much more socially responsible. And we're, we're a bit in the middle of it where the first few years where we were learning our trades and learning what we did, that wasn't so much a thing. And then it started to become a thing and we're really on the, some of the forefront people, like young people who are starting their careers today, they kind of think, oh, social impact is just baked in. Right. But it's really not. And and most of the systems that you're working within, it's barely touching the surface. It's just barely getting involved now, right? Like, right. Is that, does that feel right? Well, put it into context, you know, I'm one of a few, I think uh, maybe there's only two or three of us in this entire organization that have this accreditation of being, you know, a responsible investment advisor right. in in. In, in, in a out of how many people you know of, of, of thousands right so um, there's probably a thousand of us just in Canada right so um, but what I was going to say is you know you bring up the context of the kind of being in that generational gap um, there's a lot of education that needs to happen where people think they're doing the right thing and they're investing in the right vehicles but then once you dig in a little bit deeper and you look at like there's, I mean, there's a lot of talk about ETFs, for example, for example, right now, right? And what does that stand for? Exchange traded funds, yep. right? And so you buy like an exchange traded fund um, that says it's socially responsible, and people go, "Great, I bought a, you know, carbon neutral, socially responsible uh, exchange traded fund, and I'm well invested." And then you open it up, and then you find out that you're invested in tobacco stocks, you know? So like, wow. pe but people don't 
don't see that because all they see is the is the headline of you know I'm invested in a carbon neutral and that company could probably be doing some advancements of becoming carbon neutral. Um, but I'm pretty sure that had you known that there was you know a tobacco producer in there, it probably would have swayed you another way, right? So this is the component that. I'm trying to educate a lot of people who are wanting, especially charities, endowments, and foundations, which we do a lot of work for as an as an organization. Um, trying to give them, you know, some of the cleanest portfolios that match their values and their missions and visions as well. Hmm. And so, yeah, it, it must require just a whole another level of digging for the right opportunities and the right vehicles. To your point, and the right companies to invest in just just a whole another level of due diligence a new type of due diligence hmm. is that right yeah and so we're right now and i can i can give you some insight like in the back end myself along with a few other portfolio managers are trying to create like i don't want to say a single solution but like a portfolio that is like one of the most sustainable and long-term lasting biggest impact I, again I'm throwing out a whole bunch of different words in there because we just really haven't found the right wording for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but essentially like a portfolio that will do less harm for the next generation, yeah. right? Um, you know, let's not kid ourselves. No company is perfect, especially on if you're talking about like large cap, you know, stocks that are out there. They're just they're just so wide ranging in their scale and scope. Um, but there's definitely some that are doing, I would say, better, longer term uh, good than others. Mm-hmm. And um, and so that's it's not so much for me to say to close the door entirely on those, but it's to give them give people who have an interest in investing in that kind of scale uh, and in, in that kind of area, give them some great tools and tips and uh, ideas of uh, that have benefited others like them. Mm-hmm. The word that comes to mind for me these days, because all this impact and, you know, these words get tossed around a right. lot. And for me, I just think about is, is the, are the things we're building or doing, are they degenerative for the future? Or are they generative? Are they generating life basically, mm. right? Which means the planet, which means human well-being, which means health and well, you know, all these things. Right. Are we generative or are we de- degenerative in our actions? That's, right. Yeah. Um, are you finding that... Um, what are you finding in terms of your your clients? Are you selling social impact or selling responsibility to them, or are they coming at you, or what's the blend of that? I'm sure it's a mix, but it's a mix. Um, but I would say there's not so much selling as much as it is like another. What's the word I'm looking for? Another area of focus that I'm very passionate about, mm-hmm. and that. As I'm digging deeper, because we customize solutions for every client, right? Mm. It's not just a you sit down with me, you tell me, you, you know, on a scale of one to five, how risky do you feel? And you tell me a three, and three equals balance fund, and we call it a day, right? Um, with every single client, it's sitting down, getting a bigger understanding of, you know, who you are, your family, your values, where you want to go. And if that conversation morphs itself into, well, I want to make sure I'm not invested in this, or I want to make sure I invest in things that have this positive impact, then we, this is where we have now the technical know-how and the knowledge and the experience to bring that forward to say, mm-hmm. that's incredible and that's great. And um, just so you know, we also have that expertise of being able to offer you some ideas in those areas. Yeah. Um, beyond just the negative screening of saying we will not invest in those, it's well, let's invest in companies that are doing more than the average. 
and finding and 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 quantifying those values as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's it strikes me that the if we look at this the various sectors in business, finance is probably one of the biggest levers we can pull to turn some of the big issues around, right? In this world, um, how willing are people like? What are you finding in terms of willingness? I guess when you're looking at socially responsible investments, are these coming at a cost to bottom line performance for the individual investor or are they on par? Are there, you know, it, does this come with a, 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 a choice for the person to make about, look, I want that extra 1% return or, or, or what's that like? It's interesting you say that because with the older generation, especially, right. You sit down with them and they go, what am I giving up to do that? And uh, and that's the first question almost every time, right? You know, I'm talking like the generation of my parents that are, you know, in their 60s and even some of that are in their 70s. They have this notion that to be socially responsible, I have to give up a whole bunch of things. And that's just not necessarily not true, right? Um, you can invest in great companies that have great impact um, and just invest more in those than you do in companies that, might not have an might not have a, a positive impact or maybe a neutral impact, and so um, so I guess the the short short answer to your question is is no. I mean you're not you're not having to give up really anything um, to um, to really align your values with a portfolio that matches that. Yeah, that's cool to hear. Um, what is what do you think the role of the financial sector as a whole is uh, in terms of addressing some of the biggest issues we're facing? You know, from not not necessarily you, but your the, the people you work with, the, the industry when you when you put it together, what is what is the role there in terms of like look at climate change? What is the role of the financial industry, or what what are the things that could be happening or are happening or should be happening um, in terms of yeah? What is the responsibility there? Do you think? That's an interesting one. I mean, um, you know, I, I'm just one person in a yeah. very large organization, right? Um, but I can definitely see the, you know, even just visually, you can see the marches happening in the street with, you know, Vancouver having 200,000 people now in the streets for climate change, right? Whereas the year previous was like maybe tens of thousands, if that. Um, or maybe 1,000 people were there kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like the the dramatic increase of that impact. Um, and I think that will have an impact on some of those organizations and corporations to listen. Um, and customers will demand it. And corporations down the road, financial or not, will have to adapt to those values. and uh, Or else people will just... They have choices and they will pick something else that better matches their values right now, right? Yeah. Or better matches what they think is the right thing to invest in. Um, and uh, you know, I can I can tell you, like, for example, I was at the grocery store yesterday, and um, and I won't say who it is, but there's this company that makes cereal here locally, and they've got like very and they're just a, a private local company and they've got strong ethical socially responsible environmental climate focused carbon neutral like the list goes on and on of how unbelievable they are as a as an organization right and then you have another right next to it which is a generic cereal brand 
Um, they both taste about the same. Um, the the one that I the, the local one is maybe fifty cents or a dollar more expensive for the for the box. Um, uh, but I ended up choosing that one because of its underlying values and 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 what it stood for, and I right. wanted to support that. Right, um, and I think as long as there's not a huge dramatic you know cost attached to that change, attached to me making that. I mean, I I don't particularly. I mean, I don't know about everyone, but I don't particularly give give. A, I don't particularly care if there's a difference of fifty cents to my cereal box, right? And um, and if I can tie myself to that brand, and I feel good about not only eating but eating from a company that is you know having all this other bigger impact, mm-hmm. then um, and that's just a, a silly example, but you apply that to you know your home insurance and. And where you it starts rippling out right? everything. Yeah, I think I think what you're raising is a good point. Is like there's there can be a lot of demonization of what is perceived as power centers and things like that. But ultimately, the, as voices get louder, what we and and what's really needing to happen is collectively humans need to evolve our consciousness, our understanding of how we're all interconnected. Because I think we're we're tick, like you got to give humans a bit of a break. We're wired to care about ourselves, our, our immediate family, those directly around us, maybe our community or us are like, our you know, the 20 people closest to us. Um, but we're not actually wired to understand the impacts of our actions on hundreds of thousands or millions right. of other people. So that's going to require an upgrading of our consciousness of our understanding. And, and that's or, starting to happen too. Yeah. Or, um, if you want to have that bigger impact, which is some of the work that I'm doing here, for example, is I'm not trying to just like upgrade my own brain to be able to have that degree of confidence, um, but I'm working with others, right? Yeah, you're influencing your direct community too. <clears throat> and so, yeah. you know, by now having a room of six people working all together towards the same goal times, you know, however many connections we all have together, you can see how that ripple effect will happen so much faster, Yeah. right? Yeah. And that's, and that's some of the work in the back end of what we're trying to do um, to have that bigger impact. Yeah, for sure. That's awesome. And how do you, what I find is really interesting and I've, I've experienced this for my own, my own self is like, you know, what you're trying to do in terms of responsible investing in, in your case or in my case, whatever it is. And then often like, how, how do you stay grounded in those values on a day-to-day basis? Do you, like, how, is there a way that you do that? Or is there something that helps you, helps you stay grounded so that because I think, I think again, our, our instincts are to take care of ourselves sometimes or to take care of just our immediate needs, which could be making the most return to so our family is safe, right? Is there a way that you stay grounded to the bigger picture or to, the, to, to your responsibility there? You know, that's a really good question. Um, I would say probably having the picture of my kids on my phone and on my desk mm. day in and day out is probably what is just the constant reminder of, you know, what decisions I'm making and what I'm doing as well, right? Um, outside of that, I mean, I have a fiduciary duty to, you know, do the best for my clients. And um, and I honor that like day in and day out. And I take a lot of pride um, in, you know, people choosing me as a partner. I mean, there's no, there's like thousands of me of Ludos out there, right? Of Ludo equivalents that you can find. Um, I could probably line up a whole row of people that would want, you know, Steve Rio's account. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but for someone to choose me as their advisor, 
um, I think is a true honor, right? And and so building those relationships and deepening those relationships, um, I take a lot of care and I take a lot of pride in, in making sure that, um, you know, I, I put you first in every single one of those decisions. Um, so I don't know if that helps answer your question, but that's cool. But that's kind of like what helps me kind of focus on what's yeah. important here and yeah. not just, you know, trying to sell the client on something that's going to ultimately get more money in the bank. Right? Totally. Like, um, the time it's funny, like the times that I've made the most amount of money are the times that I never cared about money. Right. Like a hundred percent. That is, I, I reflect on that all the time. Whenever there's an opportunity in front of me, if I feel my money desperation Good. greed oh, yeah, thing yeah, come up, yeah. it's like, oh, that's something I should not do totally. because it's not going to go well. Totally. If I'm doing this for the money, it's not going to go well. I know that for myself and yeah, it's, it's just, that's not the way to make good decisions. And yeah, so that's really interesting. You know, so I mean, uh, yeah, and, and I and there's a handful of, invest, of, of investments that I've done over the years that have been, you know, strong, high tens of multiples um, where I got in because I thought the founder was a visionary. Um, I love their energy and their charisma. And they were also doing, you know, whether it be a product or a service that was, you know, making this place a better place to live. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I thought that was really, really cool. Nice, man. And uh, I want to move to your volunteering because this is one of the things that's really neat about you at your age and just for how busy you are. You've got two kids. Like you do a tremendous amount of work in the community. You're, I think you're on a, couple of different boards is that right Right. but also people are on boards a lot and that doesn't necessarily mean they're doing a lot i you're constantly (laughs) organizing events you're constantly bringing connecting people you're kind of just you're constantly out active like it seems like you must be on a committee or two for every board you're on it seems like you know you're very active there i'm interested how long have have you been doing that and how did you how did it occur to you when did that become important to you I mean, my first recollection of wanting to help, I mean, we moved a lot when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And um, and I remember when I was like, and I want to say in like first or second grade, I wanted to help the movers, you know, move. I didn't just want to like go and play with my toys or sit around and wait and do nothing, right? Like that was my first cr- true recollection of ever wanting to help in a, in a silly situation like that, right? And um, mm-hmm. And now I'm at a point where the biggest thing that I can offer isn't to write a check, but is to have a bigger impact. And, uh, and this is my time and being able to bring my expertise to the table, um, and know how, but also my connections and some of these deeper partnerships that I have with, you know, some, I mean, some of my clients are a handful of them are billionaires, right? Like there's some, there's some pretty big names that are partners of mine now that I can tap into, not necessarily for a check, but maybe for, a joint venture, a partnership, or whatever it is, right? And um, and so being able to combine my day-to-day work and efforts for the greater good of an organization that, you know, wakes up every day to, you know, get children out of poverty or out of a, you know, home. right now I do a lot of work with West Coast Family Centers, um, and their mission and vision is really to just bring families closer together. So I actually chaired the board for that organization. Yeah. And they serve roughly 3,500 families a year. Um, and we don't, I mean, they're they're like, you know, one of the organizations that has probably one of the biggest impacts on the ground, in, especially in the downtown east side, but you don't hear about them all that much because they don't do a whole lot in marketing and ad spend and all that, right? Um, 
but so my you know vision for for them is to you know get people to know more about them and some of the incredible impact that they have on bringing families back together from domestic abuse and social uh, sexual abuse to you know refugees having issues or whatever it might be and um and and at the same time with St. Paul's I mean I I think St. Paul's is is an unbelievable organization and has had a tremendous amount of impact globally not just locally but globally with some of its innovations and now with the new hub that they're building um, just down the street from here um, to be a part of that story um, and to help share that story with the next generation um, not so much with the older generation but with that next generation um, I think is is I mean it's so rewarding right to be an ambassador to such an, or, an incredible organization um, and to let people know about some of the work that they do. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Um, and yeah, the West Coast Families is just a great example where you're not only, you're chairing the board and you're helping b- build their brand or you know w- raise awareness about them, but every time, I think it's a Christmas time when mm-hmm. you're rallying dozens of your friends to get involved and, and buy food and get, get, get presents and do all these things like, you're just active. And how do you find, like, how do you make the time for this stuff? Uh, you know, I don't. I mean, the, the first year we did it, it was 15 families. Uh, last year was the second year. We did roughly 60 families. This year, we're going to try to do over 100 families. Um, and, you know, in the first year that we did it, my garage was, like, full of stuff. And my wife was like, what are we doing? Like, what are, where's all this stuff going? But it was, like, the most unbelievable, overwhelming sense. You know, I, I don't know. I just have this, like this unbelievable sense of having this urgent need of giving back. Um, you know, as you remember, like a few years ago, we had the Fort Mac fires. Um, I've never been to Fort Mac. Um, and, uh, and as I was watching it on TV on my couch, you know, drinking a beer in the warm summer days of whatever it was, whatever year it was, um, I was like, we need to do something. And my wife is like, yeah, sure. Like go for it. And, uh, and I ended up just calling like everybody that I knew to like get a massive container. So we got a 40 foot container and, um, and then I, you know, it, which was donated. And then the company that donated, um, also offered to drive it all the way up to Fort Mac. So now I was like, okay, great. I got a container. I got to fill it up. So then I rallied up a whole bunch of friends. Um, I got a place to park this 40 foot container, um, on another, you know, client of mine that they had a lot. So they let me park it on their lot. Um, so it just like, it was one of those. And then finally we went to like Costco, we went and spent like three grand at Costco and filled it up. And plus we had a whole bunch of t-shirts and donations and this and that. And we ended up filling this massive container with tons of diapers and goods and all brand new stuff that was actually going to be useful for the recovery efforts over there. Cause these people lost everything. Right. And so that was my way for me of not just writing a check, but actually connecting an organization over there to say, what do you need? And they gave me a laundry list of stuff. And I said, okay, great. I'll, you know, I'll get on it. And then I just got on the phone and got to work and pounded away at making a handful of connections. And then we were able to deliver that package of incredible goods all the way up to Fort Mac to an organization that was there on the ground to have that impact. You That's know? amazing. And so, Super cool. um, yeah, and it was just it was just like a really really cool experience to be a part of, right? Um, Man, and and what you you've said it a couple of times, but giving your time, and I say all the time in the nature of work stuff and and other you know when I'm speaking, but 
people think money is an important resource, but time is the most important resource you have. And when you have expertise and you've got a network like you do, the fact that you give that time to then connect those dots, is just, it's huge. It's way more than that organization can do with a, you know, a few hundred bucks or a few thousand bucks, right? Cause you, cause you're leveraging your time and then you're getting other people excited and you're leveraging their time and you're compounding that with connections and resources and all that. It's right. just, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Um, and I know this is not why you do it, but I, I, I think a lot of people often who, who feel like, oh, I don't have time to volunteer or I'm too busy. I'm trying to build my career. Like oftentimes people, that's why I'm, I'm so impressed with what you do so early in your career, but people feel like, you know, I'm building my career and I don't have time to volunteer, but can you just speak to what do you get out of it personally? You know, and I know that's not why you do it, but like I've, there's a tremendous benefit to doing it as well. So can you just speak to that? So just so we're clear, I get no monetary. No, 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 like, no. I don't mean I don't it. mean yeah, making yeah, yeah. money. <laughs> I, but I but I but I guess I'll like yeah, I guess yeah. to me it's just first of all, it 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 it's it's it feels there's there's probably nothing in the world that feels better than giving to others without any expectation of getting something back. Right. Right. Like that just makes you feel good as a human being. Like I mean, I'd start there. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, and I, and that's what I would say. Like you know. I, I'm, I'm sure you've given, you know, or you've bought maybe a meal for a homeless person before, oh, yeah. right? And volunteered at the homeless shelter every stuff, year right? and lots of things. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you think, think about like the, the feeling from walking up to someone who is on the street begging um, for whatever and asking them, hey, what do you want to eat? I'm going to go into Starbucks or I'm going to go to Tim Hortons or wherever and I'll buy you whatever you want. You know, like what, what would you like? And they give you a, a simple answer and then you go in and you, and that feeling when you come out and you give them the food with knowing that you won't get anything back from that. Um, so multiply that feeling times like, you know, a bigger organization of, you know, 150 counselors times 3,500 families. Um, I get that feeling every single time I sit down in a board meeting from an executive level. And I just know that, I mean, I can have a bigger impact than, you know, serving soup in a soup kitchen, mm -hmm. right? Um, you know, that I don't want to take away from that. That's that's obviously great. I just and I and I'm more than happy to do that, but to have a bigger impact, what is what is my capacity? My capacity is time and I can give up a lot of my time to have that bigger, you know, nth degree impact by, you know, working with some of the executive team on, you know, building deeper relationships and partnerships with some of my networks or, yeah. you know, putting in more scales and efficiencies. Um, you know, one last, you know, one that I'll give you is in my, um, and this was really like an unbelievable eye opener for me was in my thesis uh, for my master's. Um, we actually did a microfinance thesis whereby in the Philippines, and I'm talking about like sub making a dollar a day, poorest of the poor in the world, um, where, you know, you'd walk into a village and the ground would feel soft. Like it looked like a, like a, just an, a complete village. You would never know, like a whole village with trees and everything. But the ground was like, as if you were walking on a mattress, it was bouncy. It was really odd. And sure enough, um, it ended up being little did we know under us was a landfill that they had just covered with dirt years before, and now it was a full-blown village. And um, and so what we did there is we partnered up an organization that was a microfinance organization that would typically do loans, but only to loans to people that were making more than a dollar a day. Because as soon as you were lending out money to people that were doing less than a dollar a day, 
the interest was too high and you would never be able to pay off the loans. And it was also the, the economics didn't make sense for these microfinance organizations. So we paired that microfinance organization with a charity group that would pay the interest on the loans. Um, and so now we had an organization that was, you know, raised to just essentially write checks and give out money uh, with an organization that is in the business of receiving checks and receiving money, both wanting to do good. And so that was my first experience of commingling business with social good and a charity and the impact that they can have together um, was tremendous. Yeah, right? man. Uh, cool. But you can imagine how complex that is of bringing someone that's you know, used to writing checks and giving out money to an organization that's used to making money and trying to commingle the two together, um, very different cultures, very different problems and issues and all of that stuff. Um, but together, they were able to work together and have just a much broader, bigger impact in, in the Philippines, which was yeah. unbelievable. That's super cool. Yeah. That's when you were doing your master's in Hong Kong. Is mm -hmm, that right? Mm -hmm. I didn't know yeah. that about you until I was poking around online. You did your <laughs> master's in Hong Kong. That's pretty cool. So it was a partnership degree between uh, the University of Hong Kong and Columbia Business School in New York. And so, yeah, I mean, I had the very fortunate uh, opportunity to go do my master's in, in both New York and Hong Kong and experience both of those kind of cultures. Um, and I was fortunate, knock on wood, to also be doing be in school doing that um, during 08, 09. So probably not the best time to get a finance job afterwards as well. Um, but, um, but it was a, a very interesting time to be in school. And, you know, you literally have like Bear Stearns and all the major banks kind of going under uh, and Lehman Brothers like printing case studies while I'm in class kind of thing, right? Wow. Um, so it was a very, very interesting time to be in school for sure. <laughs> Yeah, for those of you too young to understand that 08, 09 <laughs> was just kind of a catastrophic financial failure yeah. uh, of the markets. And so anybody in school, I'm sure at that time felt it thinking, am I going to get a job? But particularly doing a degree in finance and a master's in finance. Oh, yeah. Like down the street from Wall Street, literally, right? Right. So that's why it led, wow. me, led me back to Vancouver. I mean, I, I came to Vancouver because... I was like, well, I'll let things kind of quiet down over there for a little bit. Oh, interesting. Um, and sure enough, I, I fell in love with the city. I fell in love with the girl. And now I'm just not going anywhere. I don't want to go back to the winters of, you know, Montreal and, Tor and uh, Toronto and, uh, interesting. and New York because the weather here is just unbelievable. But yeah. also I have a family and, and friends here now. Yeah. It's interesting how oftentimes I think when you're looking at people who have you know, are further ahead in their lives and careers or just whatever, you think, oh, they made all these clear decisions to get to where yeah, they are. Yeah, but it's so often it's kind of like, well, that happened. And I guess I'm not staying because your plan was to stay in New York and be well, a finance my guy My wife and in I New just York. still joke about it where she was like, you know, when I met, when I met this guy, me, yeah. uh, he was saying that he's only going to be here for a little while and then he's going to go to Chicago or New York. And she was having like serious conversations with her mom about, you know, should I stay with this guy? Like, he doesn't seem like, you know, serious that he wants to stay here, but uh, I'll, I'll give it a go. And and then finally, when she was ready to move, I was like, I'm not ever moving. Like, this place is amazing. And she's like, what? What do you mean you're not moving? Like, I thought we had all these big plans to go. So um, I ended up, you know, convincing her that this was a better place. And, and this was, this ended up being home for us now. Yeah, cool. I, I mean, when we, when Austin and I, my wife and I moved to, um, 
Bowen Island, the original intention was to renovate the house we live in into a couple suites, mm. rent out the upstairs and move to New York because right. my business was centered in New York. Right. It still is. And, um, I was planning to go out there and build the business for the next few years, but you know, yeah, yeah. I spent the summer on Bowen Island and, and it was a beautiful, you know, experience being closer to nature and things. And I just started reflecting on lifestyle and right. the, the value of that, you know, like I could have built bright web faster definitely had I moved to New York, but it just felt like the trade-off wasn't worth it for the lifestyle because we have a pretty amazing lifestyle living on the West Coast, living in Canada, living in Vancouver. I mean, it's... A- I'll, give you, I'll give you another story on that is um, when I first got started in this business, like almost 10 years ago now, um, I didn't quite understand how it was to deal with clients who were passing and who then had passed away and became... It, your account becomes an estate account, Right. And going through probate with the families or dealing with life insurance and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so and so it wasn't until I got that experience that I got to learn about more and more of that. Um, but what was interesting is I got given a handful of accounts from an older advisor in my early years, like I want to say my first or second year of being here at the firm, and who were older clients and who, you know, one of which had passed away in my in the first year that I was here. And so having that experience like early on was unbelievable because I got to learn about, you know, what it's like for some of those older accounts and what happens in the later years. And that really changed my philosophies and investments and styles and conversations with, you know, clients that were 30, 40, 50 years old because I knew what the end would look like. And and I'm talking as, as simple as, you know, you know, tax planning and things like that of, of, you know, and I'm not a tax expert, but there's different ways you can structure accounts to make sure that they, you know, avoid probate or um, are most tax efficient at passing and all that kind of stuff, right? The same with um, now having the experience that I do with dealing with ultra high net worth families and individuals, Mm -hmm. seeing that, you know, I have similar to a lot of people, these aspirations of growing my wealth to a certain, you know, X dollars of numbers or whatever it is. Um, it's incredible to then meet these families who have achieved some incredible growth and are, you know, worth hundreds of millions or billions of dollars. And they're really not that much different from you and I, right? And some of the stuff that they value is stuff that I already have, like, an incredible wife and two kids and the most amazing friends and friendships and partners and all this kind of stuff. Right. And so, um, I found that really enlightening over the last little while of like, as I get to know these families deeper and deeper and I, you know, go to some of their homes and I get to know them. Um, you know, one of my closest friends, I won't name who he is, but you know, is, is a ultra high net worth individual in the city. And, um, and he's he's had the same car and the same watch, and he can buy whatever car you can imagine, right? Yep. And he's had the same car and the same watch and the same condo over the last seven years that I've known him. Um, one of the most humble guys you will ever meet, um, who works like tirelessly day in and day out. When I mean, from a money standpoint, he never he never really had to. Um, and so those are the ones that I'm like, I find very, what's the word I find very, um, you know, I find those relationships really rewarding, right. And seeing like that people of, of that net worth still really 
you know, give a damn and really want to work as hard as they do to have an impact or leave behind a legacy, uh, but at the same time aren't just drowning in Lamborghinis and well, and, yeah, and diamonds 100%. and everything else, right? Man, that's it's so it's so cool to get that exposure, and I, I I'm not around some of the high net worth that you are, but even being around, you know, as you advance in your career, ultimately your friends start to have more money. You just start to see the ones that define themselves by, by their material wealth or what they have. Those are not the happy people. Then the ones, like you say, who are still driving the same car or, you know, who, who define themselves by what they do in the world and how they show up in the world and their, the quality of their family relationships. Like, and to your point, like you can't buy that stuff. So money makes life a little easier sure. and it's, and it's nice to have wealth. But it, it plateaus, it totally plateaus, it, right? Like you get to a certain point where you know that you have enough and every incremental dollar over that just really starts, the, the, that line doesn't go exponentially up anymore. It really starts to curve. And if anything, you get to a certain point, the, the curve actually comes back down, I would argue. Interesting. Right? Why is that? Um, I think, you know, as the, I know you like the great biggie, like more money, more problems kind of thing, right? Um, you start having a lot of other issues um, with, you know, you start just attracting, um, I, I think you probably start attracting um, fame and, and things that you Right, and family come out of the woodworks that you... And, and stuff like that, All sorts right? of issues, right? And so then you have to live behind a big compound with big walls and like... You can imagine like that kind of scenario. Yeah, money um, actually at a certain point starts to isolate you, which ultimately is one of the main things that keeps us happy and alive, right. which is social interaction and close close connections. And you have to start guarding yourselves. You might actually start having guards and security oh. around you. You don't go into stores anymore. Right. You don't, like you say, you have a big compound. You're literally walling yourself off from the world. Totally. Yeah. So then you live in your beautiful big compound and big house all by yourself. Like, yeah. Yeah. Yippee. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's that's very cool that you, I mean, just to have those experiences, like you said, I guess early in your, early as you're getting into this career to say, oh, I can kind of see this end game. Maybe, maybe the first steps should go a little different. Maybe I steer it a little yeah. differently. Yeah. Or, which is a challenge for me, I'll admit, is just being grateful and thankful for what i'm at now and celebrating my successes now right yeah not and i suffer from the same thing that a lot of entrepreneurs suffer from is always looking at the next one the next one the next one the next one never looking back at, at what i've built and always going it needs to be bigger it needs to be faster it needs to be stronger and never taking a moment in a pause to go wow like i I built this like this, look at this, look at what I've already built. This is incredible. You know, mm -hmm. um, that's been my biggest, you know, uh, I would say pro and con at the same time. Yeah. Right? I think it's every entrepreneur, like we become entrepreneurs because we're constantly seeing something out ahead of us. That's possible right. that we want to do or achieve or whatever. And, but by the time we're there, we've already got the new one and then the new one. And it's like this never ending carrot out in front of us. Totally. Um, and it's, 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 I, I, I mean, I would say this last couple of years for me has been the biggest, that's one of the biggest things I focus on. And when I think about personal development, that to me is one of the key areas that I think is so valuable because it, it, I guess it makes such a big difference on the quality of your life, right. on how you feel each day. Like I'm starting to recognize that. I guess that 
life is actually just one moment. It's right now. And that now you're doing different things and now keeps moving, but it's just this moment. So five years from now has no bearing on you now, you know, your relationships now, anything, right? All you have is this moment now. And it's, um, but it's, it's really hard to stay stuck in that or, or, or settled in that, grounded in that. Stuck is the wrong word, settled in that. When your brain is just constantly, hey, we could go do this. Oh, and what yeah. if, if I did this, that I would feel really good about that. Um, oh, and plus, imagine if we could do that. Oh, and imagine if yeah. we could do this and that. And imagine it like, and then, you know, this is obviously what takes us to the next leap and which is amazing. Yeah. But um, if you don't take that moment and that step back to go, whoa, look at what, what look at what's already happened and look at what, all the things we've built and look at the impact we've had already. Totally. Um, you just will never be happy. There will just never be enough, whether it's experiences or material things or whatever it might be. Right. Well, yeah, there's a healthy, I think there's got it. There's a healthy way to do that because we are natural. We're designed to, have, we're here to grow and evolve. Right. Like, like all of nature, anything with DNA is, is here to continually improve the quality and chances of its your kids surviving and you surviving all those things, right? So we're built for that. However, I think we get really attached to the outcomes of what we're doing and that's what's celebrated in the media. And like, you know, we talk about, we know, and most people, when they actually think about it, they know that money doesn't make you happy. They all know someone who has more money than them, who is less happy than them. Everyone has seen that, but it's, this messaging we're getting all the time, all the time, all the time. It's like the billionaires, like when Kendall Jenner, is that her name? Uh, sure. One of the, I think, <laughs> well, I don't know, the or Kylie or whatever, whichever one of those was named the youngest female billionaire. First of all, not a billionaire. Second of all, <laughs> second of all, we're celebrating people in this way, putting them up on a pedestal in our society for one metric of their life, not at all the metric. Like, there's no way to really measure. Yeah. How happy is Kylie or yeah. Ke- I don't know who we're talking about. I'm just going to say yeah, Kylie. I know, I know. Um, uh, but so, so we're constantly being told this messaging yet when we settle down, we usually know that, but it's hard to stay connected to that. But you know why it's because it's an easy measurable thing to, you know, relate from one person to the other. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, quantifiable, right. Totally quantifiable. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, whereas like you can't quantify, you know, my happiness with, you know, my kids versus, you know, someone who doesn't, right, have kids. Uh, and we might be the same age, right? And so, like, how do you, but he's super happy or she's super happy, you know, do going out and skiing. And, like, those are things that you just are so. It's very personal. So personal and you yeah. can't measure versus it's easy for me to measure how much money did I make last year? How much money did you make last year? What's my net worth? What's your net worth? Oh, well, you must be doing a lot better, which means you must be a lot happier than I am, you know? So, and then, you know, obviously with Facebook and Instagram and social media in general, you always see the best of people's lives. Um, I saw a great quote, which was like, and I'm sure you've seen it too, which was like, I hope you're living the life that, you know, you post kind of thing. Right. Um, because you're never posting about, you know, the trials and tribulations and the tough days that you have, or you're, you might not always be doing that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, for uh, sure. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, what do you, what do you see as your responsibility or your role in your marriage? And uh, yeah. And, and, and as you're thinking about that, how do you, is there a way that you look at measuring that? 
measuring your performance in that? Because I think at work, again, talking about this quantifiable thing, this is just what reminded me of it. It's really easy to quantify our business performance. Um, how do you think about your, yeah, your responsibilities or your role at home? The first word that comes to mind when you ask me that question is a supportive role, especially now with, you know, a six month old and a two and a half year old at home where she's in it day in and day out. Um, I'm very much wanting to take as much of a supportive role as I can and, and try to take time out of my day to help support her as, as much as I can, because, um, it's no secret that, you know, if she ends up feeling supportive mm. and she will end up being able to, you know, not only support our kids, but also just be happier in our marriage overall too. Right. Um, so I don't know if that helps yeah, answer I'm, your question at all, but, um, you know, that's, it, it, it evolves and it changes obviously. Like, you know, where we're at now is very different than us being in Paris on our honeymoon, you know, just five years ago or whatever it was. Right. So, um, you know, but, it's like a job role. It's going to continually evolve as, yeah. as the, as the family evolves and what the nature of what's happening at that right, time. Right. Right. But I can tell you that, um, you know, I've never been more in love and I think, and I, and getting to know someone, uh, through with kids, I mean, you are being tested to the nth degree, right? Like, uh, no one really, I mean, I, I, I never knew I really, I knew, I kind of knew I wanted kids, but I didn't really a hundred percent know. I just, I just thought it was part of the process. Um, but no one ever prepared me for, you know, the emotional, you know, roller coaster kids takes on you and your marriage and your love and everything too right and so i can see how sometimes it doesn't work out right like for us it very much solidified our marriage and made us stronger but i can see for others how it doesn't and how it how you very quickly want to have the life that you once had right and um you crave something you can't have anymore yeah actually maybe yeah, yeah. and so um so anyway, so, you know, I can tell you that um, I'm very excited for, well, I'm excited for us to get sleep again one day. <laughs> um, and, uh, but right now, you know, I, we just enjoy every single moment and, and, uh, and it's been, it's been unbelievable. How do you, I mean, I, you see it all the time where, like you say, whether it's kids or some, uh, there's different types of life events that can really put the full, like the real challenge on a relationship. Um, there's other things too, but kids is one of the best examples. Like it's just a tremendous amount of energy and it just changes everything in your lifestyle. Um, and you say some, some, some couples it just drives them apart and some couples it drives them closer. Can you think of anything between you and your wife that, that has made the difference between going the other way? Uh, like, is it, yeah. Is there anything that comes to mind there? I can tell you for uh, for me personally, there was like three times in our in my marriage right now where, you know, we've been tested per se. The first was we had just gotten to know each other and we ended up buying a place together very very early in our relationship, like within the first year or two. And you know, anyone who's ever moved in with a partner, let alone bought a place together, within the first you know three to six months, you know whether this is going to work or not, right? And so that was like the first kind of like big check mark uh, of getting to know each other. Um, the second one was when I changed uh, 
from when I went from having a job at my last, you know, the last place I worked to now having a career and something that I'm passionate about, making that leap, I took a huge discount on my salary and my earnings for the first few years to kind of follow this new passion. And my wife very much supported us during that movement uh, to the point where I remember one month, um, and it was actually, interestingly enough, it was the same month that I won top uh, or most, uh, something along the lines of like top new advisor of the year for all of Canada. And um, and during that same month, uh, my paycheck from the firm was negative $1,000. So <laughs> I owed the firm because of how much I was in reinvesting in my business and in, in my staff and everything to gr- keep growing. Um, you know, I, I owed, I owed the firm money on my paycheck. Right. Um, and so that during that period of time, we dipped into our savings and, and anyone who's ever had financial quote unquote hardship of any kind, um, you know, we had mortgage payments to pay. We lived in a beautiful two bedroom apartment. Um, but we were dipping into our line of credit. We're dipping into our savings and, and that puts strain on things and that puts a strain on, on people. And that, that will test your relationship again to another level. But we very quickly got out of that, and um, and uh, and I would say now the last one is is kids, right? Um, having you know sleep deprivation is a real thing for those of you who don't have kids. Uh, for those of you who do, you can very much relate to what I'm talking about right now. Uh, but you know, being up throughout the night and never kind of going into any form of a deep sleep and just having naps and then having to get back to work for 6.30 and then being on with the markets and being in with the news and being on with clients, like there's no off days, right? And then coming right back to picking up your two and a half year old from daycare to then he doesn't particularly care if you got sleep or not. He just wants to play at the park, right? Or he just wants to like run around and have some fun. So um, so I'd say those were like the three main kind of trials that come to mind where, trust me, there's been some days where we want to kill each other, but there's been many more days where, you know, we turn to each other and go, oh, okay, I love you. You know, like, mm. um, and it's so important to just to remember to say that and just to you know, keep, yeah, just to keep communicating that right. love both to yourself and to your partner. Even though, even if it's just like a quick, you know, yeah. one kid's down, the other one's about to go down and just like in passing in the hallway between chores or whatever it is, taking that, you know, split second to recognize the other partner, um, I think is 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 incredible. Yeah, that's beautiful, man. I well said. Um, interested where to go from here. One, I guess, a couple more questions for you. One, one is, um, I was going to ask you what's most important to you in your life now, but my guess is it's your kids and your family. Kids and family, and just you know. Now that I have a deeper understanding of my purpose, yes. and I'll repeat it just for, you know, it's, it's kind of top of mind, is forging lifelong partnerships in the pursuit of creating a lasting legacy. The first part is easy. Like forging lifelong partnerships, that, that comes easy for me. But the creating a lasting legacy part, the, you know, what do you want to be remembered for when you pass away? or uh, And what kind of impact do you want to leave behind? I'm still, I'm still struggling with, and I'm still working through day in and day out. Um, and so that's probably why, to be honest, I'm trying to do as much volunteering as I am doing, um, trying to be as great of a father as I can be and trying to be as great of a, of a husband as I can be and trying to be as great of a, 
you know, as an advisor as I can be and portfolio manager for my clients as I can be. And all these things that I do are, are because I want to leave that bigger impact and that, and leave that bigger, you know, legacy piece behind. Interesting. Um, so you think about you like, um, legacy is a big part of that. What is that the perception of the, the, in, I don't know, the entire country or whatever, you know, the general public's perception of you? Is it your family's perception of you? Is it your kids' perception? Like what, what about legacy is important? What is it? Why does it matter once you're gone? I don't know. And that's what I'm still trying to yeah. answer in my head, right? I, I don't know why I care about that as much as I do. Um, maybe it's because a part of me is just not as selfish as, um, as I should be at times. And, uh, I, I I don't know what, what it is about me that really cares about making sure that I leave this place better than when I got here. Um, but that's a big part of who I am now, and it's a big part of what I'm trying to uncover and trying to work through right now hmm. and um, in every facet of my life. And that's what I'm trying to slowly uncover. Hmm. Uh, you know, like, you know how they have... Um, the uh, top 40 under 40 uh, awards here in Vancouver. I forget with which magazine or publication it does it. And um, like one of my like desires is like to be recognized, for example, as a top 40 under 40, not so much for the work that I do. I don't, I don't particularly care so much for that, but for all of the philanthropic stuff that I do on the side, right? If I could be, and then if that could empower the next generation or those that are in their you know, teens or twenties to go, you know, wow, look at that guy's like 39 years old. Maybe I'll, hopefully I'll achieve it just at the brink. Right. But that guy's 39 years old. He's achieved top 40 under 40 because he contributed to so many different causes along the way. Um, that's a really, really cool trajectory. Um, there's a guy locally here. His name is John Montalbano, who a lot of people know. He, um, he was being honored um, at some gala somewhere for some of his incredible efforts and some of the stuff that he had done. He's about, I want to say maybe 20 years older than me, maybe a little bit older, but he's about, he's, I wanna, I, I'm going to guess he's about 20 years older than me. And so I reached out to him and I said, listen, John, I mean, you're an, an unbelievable figure in this, and, you know, and, and you're the money aside and your, you know, entrepreneurial successes aside, if I can achieve that kind of reputation um, that you have, whereby you know foundations and endowments and charities and impact groups are all turning to you for advice and guidance, that to me is is a true definition of success and Amazing. a serious legacy and serious impact. And he served as you know the uh, one of of a, of a few mentors that I turned to who I aspire to become, you know, a version of down the road, right? Um, I don't see myself, you know, in my 50s and 60s and 70s just, you know, gardening or whatever it is, right? Like my brain will go mush. Um, so that's like to give you some like, you know, opening the door a little bit into like you know, Ludo's brain per se, like that's kind of, where I'm trying to head right now, but I'm trying to figure out that trajectory and I'm trying to figure out that sailing and hmm. and and how to have that biggest impact. Yeah, that's really amazing, man, that you have that or that orientation that, you know, just everything you just described. It's interesting that your 40 under 40 example, first of all, I'll, I'll sponsor you. I, <laughs> I, I think I got it when I was 38, so I, I squeaked in. Yeah. 
my mom my mom was like, you should be applying for that. You should do this. Yeah, and I said, okay. Yeah. It's funny for me because I'm, I guess, I really, I, anyway, I really liked what you said there because if you get it and you're recognized for that, the for contribution, the right things, yeah. The, that are important to me. 100%. Right? And that's showing a good example for others. And that to me is like living legacy. Right. Like while you're 40 totally. or under 40, you're showing others a path to do too well too, right? To teach others that, hey, this is really gratifying and rewarding and important stuff to do. And that's like, you know, I honestly like would not apply or don't particularly care for the award if it was like, wow, uh, Ludovic Sufi manages hundreds of millions yeah, of much? dollars. Yeah. <laughs> like who cares, you know? Um, however, if it was like he's he's contributed to millions of dollars being flown into these organizations mm-hmm. um which has you know had an impact to tens of thousands of lives and blah 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 like the oh like what an overwhelming feeling so i still have another like you know four and a half years before i before i you know don't make the cut per se uh, i'm sure there's a 50 under 50 thing somewhere out there in case i don't make <laughs> it but uh but anyway, so that the that's, safety net. Yeah, totally, totally. They call it the safety net yeah, awards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Top eighty under eighty. Yeah. But um, but anyway, so that's like you know, I I don't know why that's important to me. I don't know why I'm I'm wired that way. Well, it's a good thing you are, man. I but, think it's um, a good thing you are. Yeah, but I, but it's exciting, and that's kind of like what I'm working on right now in my brain. Yeah, and do you think there's a meaning to life, like a a meaning? a reason you're here meaning to life an overarching purpose to life i don't know i really don't know i you know it's there's so many different ways you can take that and answer that question i are you a are you a spiritual or religious person or do you consider yourself did some people have no relationship to those words at all some people I'm I'm in that kind of a gray zone right now, to be honest. Especially since having kids, like this overwhelming sense has taken over me, and I can't attribute it to anything tangible, right? So it's really hard for me not to get spiritual about it. Um, you know, I, uh, you know, I I don't um, I'm not affiliated with any groups, or I'm, I don't go to church or anything like that. But um, but at the same time, I have I have a hard time. Um, rationalizing or explaining some things that are, you know, uh, feelings that are kind of taking over me at times, you know? So, um, so, I mean, in terms of like a meaning of life or, or where this goes or where this, like, I, yeah, I, I really don't know how to answer that, you know, to be honest, like I'm, mm. I'm kind of puzzled because it's very much like an under construction area in my brain right now that I'm still trying to uncover for myself. Um, and then eventually, you know, um, maybe one day figure it out Yeah, in some capacity. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it totally does. And I think, no, and I, yeah, it does. And I think there's like this natural evolution of what your brain needs to be focused on. The fact that you're doing, I, 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 I asked a bit because, um, you're naturally geared towards helping your community to contributing your time to doing all these things we just talked about that often comes with some greater under like greater uh, perception of what's going on here. It's not mm-hmm. just about me. It's not just about my right. life. It's right. about something greater, but, but often, but I think those often come together, but they don't necessarily have to. And it's, I mean, you're doing all these amazing things. You're, you're to me 
from watching you from the outside, it's like you're, you're steered in all the right directions. So, and I, but I also think that as you go through different phases of your life, your brain is kind of required for different things. You're focused on career, you're focused on your kids, you're focused on getting through these things and, and all the volunteering you do. Maybe that's the next stage of your life to get reflective on right. why and what all this is. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. Like I was watching, um, I forget what it was, but it's some sort of show the other day and someone, again, I forget who it was that put it in that context, but it was like, you know, talking about the climate change and, and Greta and all this kind of stuff that's happening right now. And like the earth will still be here like millions of years from now. Oh yeah. We might not, but the earth will, and it will, it will like recover on its own, you know? And so, uh, that like was an interesting, like, like I already kind of knew that, but for someone to then say that and mention that, um, I also like have a, like my bachelor's was a bachelor's of science. So like I have a background uh, in science as well. So, you know, I, I, anyways, the, the whole like connection of science and spirituality and everything is, is very much in the air for me right now. Not as in like I'm questioning both, but like I'm trying to figure them out. I'm trying to figure out how how they fit with me as an individual right now. Mm-hmm. And so that's why it's so hard for me to explain to you this concept of, you know, why are we here and this meaning and all this kind of stuff. Um, it sounds like there's, you know, there's something there. You just haven't had the time or, you know, to unpack that yet or to figure out what that means to you. Yeah. And again, it's a personal journey. And I, to be to be honest, like, I think you... You got you got a nail right on the head. Is like I just haven't had the time. Yeah, right. Like I don't have the time. That's what I mean about the life phases yeah. thing, right? People talk about how many books they've read this year. I'm like books. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have a whole pile of them sitting around waiting for me to read. Like audiobooks is the only thing I've really been able to. And between commutes here and there, between meetings, like been able to you know make a bit of a dent into. Right. Um, yeah, time is is very very tough right now, and so. Um, so given everything we've talked about, we've talked about, I mean, all of the incredible work you do in your community with your volunteering, the, the, the responsible investing, your experiences with high net worth people and seeing the good and the bad of, of what happens behind that, your family life, what does it mean to you to live a good life? What is your current understanding of what it means to live a good life? I think trying to live in the moment and... Um, you know, I'm very fortunate to have found my purpose as, you know, even though it is, I'm in my thirties, like even though it was a little bit later than what I wish I had done. Um, but I'm still very fortunate to have found what I think is my purpose at such an early age. And because that now serves as my North star and helps guide me in all of my decisions and in all that I've done, um, and what I plan to do in the future. Um, you know, a lot of people live quote unquote purposeless or don't have as can't really as easily define their purpose and struggle in the day to day. And so, you know, to live a good life for me um, is uncovering what's important to you living in the moment. um, And if you can align yourself as much as you can to some of those values and your purpose um, day in and day out, and you will just live a better life and have a bigger impact at the end of the day. Beautiful. Thanks, Ludo. That's it for today's episode. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe wherever you're listening. And you can follow along with my life on Instagram at Steve Rio. 
For show notes and other info about the podcast, check out natureofwork.co forward slash podcast or find us on Instagram at natureofwork.co. And if you'd like to learn more about how to increase your performance, resilience, and well-being, how to increase the quality of your work while lowering the stress and anxiety you feel, definitely check out Nature of Work. It's a personal operating system that has transformed my work and my life, not only the quality of my work, but how I feel every day. And with that, I'll leave you. Enjoy the rest of your day. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.